Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This Shabbat is Shabbat HaGadol, the great Shabbat, the great Sabbath. It's the Shabbat before Passover, which begins this coming Wednesday night. And Shabbat HaGadol is a time of remembering, and it's also a time of anticipating. It was at this time that the children of Israel were preparing to leave Egypt, and God told them that each family needed to select a lamb that would serve as their personal Passover sacrifice. And this command, this mitzvah from the Lord, required the Israelites to actively participate in the process of redemption. Specifically, what they had to do was to take action. They had to select a lamb, and it had to be without blemish. It had to be worthy. They had to keep that lamb uh, in their home for a while, and then they had to sacrifice it at just the right time. They were to apply the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house, and they were also to eat the lamb roasted over fire together with bitter herbs and with matzah. One popular Jewish website added this note that I found very interesting, and I'll just read this one statement. The past redemption at Passover is tied to the future messianic redemption which according to tradition, also will take place on Passover. I, I say that to you because it is, if you will, common knowledge in the Jewish world that what happened at Passover was also going to happen again in a different way with the coming of Messiah. And Mishpacha, I want you to know this. I want you to understand that Passover and redemption and Messiah are forever linked together. It is not just Messianic Jews and Messianic believers who think this. This has been a standard understanding of the Jewish world. Now, it's still controversial in the Jewish world. Why? Because not every Jewish person believes God or Torah or even truth contained in Jewish traditions. There are many Jewish people who have a different attitude about life and have separated themselves from what God has done and what God promises to do. The Haftorah reading for Shabbat Hagadol is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 4 through 24. And just as a note, it, Malachi is numbered differently in Hebrew than it is in English. It includes this particular verse in English, Behold, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the coming of the awesome and fearful day of the Lord or the great and fearful day of the Lord. Great and fearful in Hebrew, Hagadol. Can you say that with me? Hagadol. 
Vahanorah. I can barely hear you. And you're scattered all over. I want to make it, I want it to come out of your mouth loud enough so that it makes it to your own ears. Even if I can't hear you, you should be able to hear yourself. Hagadol, Vahanara. That was much better. Congratulations. It's like you were, I don't know. Yeah, you were awestruck by the thought. <laughs> that phrasing may actually be familiar to you uh, from Avot, the first of the Amidah prayers, uh, which we um, recited today, as we always do. Avot speaks of the great, mighty, and awesome God. It says this, Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanorah, el el yom. And so contained in that, among other things, are these two words, ha'gadol v'hanorah. So think about this. God himself is described in this way. And the day of the Lord is described in this way. And the time of Messiah is described in this way. So Shabbat HaGadol helps us focus on the first Passover, as well as the Passover lamb, as well as the coming of Messiah on Passover. And so I think it's a good time for each of us to be clear with ourselves that we have chosen a lamb Messiah Yeshua, as our Passover lamb. And when I say clear with ourselves, let me explain what I mean. It means to think clearly and to be able to say out loud that Yeshua is your Passover lamb. Now, I say that with some memory. When, when I was in the process of coming to the Lord, things began to change as I understood uh, for the first time that Yeshua was Adonai and that the Holy Spirit and El Elyon, God Most High, and Yeshua the Messiah, these were all expressions, manifestations of one God, one God alone, who reveals himself in this way. Not three gods, one God. And as I understood that, it radically changed my life. I started worshiping with some non-denominational Christians who were filled with the Spirit. It was all very new to me. But one day... Someone came up to me and said, I heard you became a believer. And I had not actually told anyone, including that person, or whoever told that person. But here's what happened. I had said to the Lord, if you reveal Yeshua to me, I will act appropriately. That's the promise I made. And if he's not, if Yeshua is not the Messiah, I need to know that and sorry for asking. But I need to know. 
So I prayed to the Lord, sort of hedging my position. I need to know, and you need to show me. And if he is, I tell you this in advance, Lord, I will act appropriately. Now, when it came time to act appropriately, that was a different matter. I did that slowly. And one of the reasons was I thought I'd get in trouble if I became a believer in Yeshua. I think many Jewish people can relate to that, uh, anticipating that you'll get in trouble with your own family and your community. I did. I, I thought I would do that, so I kept it to myself for a while. But what was interesting was there were some people who recognized the change in me. And they started telling each other, hey, David's a believer now. And then one of them told me and said, so I heard you're a believer. It's like, I guess I am. And when I said it out loud to myself, to them, it changed my position a little bit. When you know that you know, and you know well enough that you can tell someone else, it means that your heart is really being changed. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what about for people who are shy? Yep, same thing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember... What John said when he saw Yeshua, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He spoke what he knew was true. Now, back to Exodus, the Passover lamb was called an offering to the Lord. And it was a faithful response of the people, faithful in two, two ways that I can think of. It was an expression of their faith and their trust in God. And it was a faithful act of obedience according to the instructions that the Lord had given them through Moses. They were told to take this lamb and they were told um, to sacrifice this lamb at a certain time, in a certain way, to apply the blood to the doorposts of their house, to stay inside, to, to roast on the lamb with fire and not cook it some other way, and to eat it together with bitter herbs and with matzah. And so one question that comes to mind is, how did the blood of the lamb on the doorposts actually work? You know, like what was going on with that? Torah says that it was a sign. It was an outward visible marker that identified the inhabitants of the house as Israelites. But I want you to understand something. The blood did not have magical power in it. The blood was something the Lord was looking for. He was coming down on that night, and he was looking for the houses of Israel that were occupied by people who were trusting him to redeem them and to deliver them. And what was the sign? They would apply the blood of the lamb 
to the doorposts of their houses. So it was a sign to the Lord. That, I think, is very important. And when the Lord saw it, he would act to protect the family inside. And the question comes up, how would he protect them? Most people might say, well, he would pass over that house. And in English, Passover has a wrong common meaning. Passover sounds like skipping or, you know, well, I'm not going to go to that house. That's not what it really meant in, in Hebrew. The, the word had a very different connotation. It was connected to the bouncing of lambs in a field and how they can... Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos we've ever posted of lambs bouncing in a field, but it, it's really quite remarkable the way they can move. And maybe I'll post again on Facebook some of those videos. But it's using that word to say that the Lord was going to, if you will, he was going to move fast like a lamb bouncing in a field. He was going to come down that night. And he was going to look for the houses of the children of Israel that had been marked with blood. And he was going to protect those houses. So he would protect them from the destroyer who was going throughout the land that night, claiming the lives of all of the firstborn sons. And it's described in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. And this is, to me, very remarkable because it describes how the, the God who created the universe can come down to a place, a certain place, and be present in that place, and he can observe, he can see physical things. This is what Exodus says, the Lord will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. The Lord will see it. So now we know something. The Lord is capable of seeing things on earth. He's capable of being in the created world in such a way that he can actually take in and observe things. It's important to get that idea clear. It says, the Lord will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, and the Lord will Pesach. He will pass over. He will pass over and he will stop the destroyer from entering and smiting your home. So it's a very, very different picture than people commonly have. The, the idea is this. The Lord's looking and he'll see. Let's say this is the house. He sees the blood and he positions himself actively to stop the destroyer from coming into that house. He takes notice, and the destroyer is moving through the land, claiming the lives of the firstborn males of animal and beast and human. But the Lord says, I will see that blood, and I will move quickly. This is how you could translate it. I will move quickly to protect that house and its inhabitants. So that helps us understand something, that the Lord 
promised to move actively, urgently, quickly to a position of protection when he saw the blood. The blood wasn't magic. It didn't have power unto itself, even though the scripture tells us not to eat blood because there's life in the blood. And that atonement is made with the blood. But it's not that the blood applied to these houses had magical power unto itself. It was a sign. It was not just a prophetic sign. It was a marker that the Lord was looking for. And when he saw it, and he could see it, when he saw it, he took action. That's important to understand. And Shabbat Hagadol is, is meant for our, for our sakes to stimulate us and to remind us of what God has done. And as those who, who are familiar with normal Jewish thinking and teaching understand, what God yet will do through Messiah. Now, we who are Messianic can say that Messiah has come and will come. If you believe in Yeshua, you know he has come. If you believe Yeshua is coming again, you know he will come. And so it's important to grasp this. So we're looking for Yeshua to come, but we're looking for him to keep coming. How many need Yeshua in your life now? And you need him to do great and mighty things on your behalf now. The children of Israel had to remember what God had done and be grateful for it at that time. And then they had to combine that gratitude with anticipation of what God would do and what he said he would do. And this is, a, this is how faith works much of the time. You take your gratitude, you combine it with your anticipation of what God will do, and you merge them together. You've got to work them in together so that they become one thing together. So that you can look back, and you can look ahead, and it all fits together because it's one God working in the same way. The same God who delivered us from Egypt delivers us from sin and death. The same God who delivered the children of Israel at the Red Sea delivers us through the deep waters. Yes? The same God who did not leave any of the children of Israel behind, no matter how aged or infirmed or weak they had been, they all got up and walked out. That same God will not leave any of us behind, regardless of our age or our physical condition. Passover was active. It was timely. It was personal. It was protective. It was redemptive. And it gives us some background that helps us understand what Yeshua has done for us. Because God is not just some impersonal force, like Star Wars, you know, may the force be with you. 
that's not the right understanding of how God works. And God is just not another name for the whole universe. You know, there's now some people who like to be spiritual by saying, the universe showed me, or the universe did this. That's empty. God is personal. He's active. He's timely. He's protective. He's redemptive. He knows your name. Do you know his name? We participate in redemption through our active expressions of faith. And then God does the redeeming. The fact is, we can't redeem ourselves. Anybody ever try to redeem themselves? I did. Did you ever try to make yourself good enough for God? Who am I talking to? None of you have these vulnerabilities that I have. When I was coming to the Lord, I... I, I knew some things that needed to be fixed. And so I started fixing some of those. And my idea was I was going to be better and do better. It's a good idea, but it got in the way of something. Can I tell you the truth, what it was? Some of you may not like it. That's okay. I didn't like it. The Spirit of God through the Scriptures was showing me that if I truly believed in Yeshua, I needed to be immersed in water. Yeah. I didn't want to be. I was okay with being immersed in the Holy Spirit, but not in water. And the reason was, I knew if I got immersed in water, it, was, it would be perceived as like an act of rejection of my people in my community, my family even. And so I, I wasn't going to do it. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I decided not to do it. And rather than that, I wanted to improve myself. It's sort of like I was trying to bargain with the Lord. And it was like this. Well, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this part better and this part better. And this part, and this part. And I was serious about making those things better. But you know what? There was something that was wrong about my motives. I wanted to do it my way. And you know, when you say, Lord and you strip away all the religious stuff, you could say, boss. And if you say, you're the boss, that may not sound pious enough for you. I, believe me, I was not pious. But what I was clearly saying to the Lord is, I believe in you, and I'm the boss. I believe in you when we agree. And you can tell me whatever you want to tell me as long as I already agree. That was my actual position. And when I did everything I thought I could to make myself better, but I didn't deal with that, the Spirit of God 
And the scriptures kept reminding me I was still in charge. And I had to count the costs. And I did. And it took me months to be able to say, Lord, okay, I will do what you say to do. And I got immersed in water. And I was so glad that I did, but I hadn't anticipated that our daughter would tell my family. Because uh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to cover all the bases at that moment. But within 24 hours, I was in big trouble with my family. I have to tell you that. It took years of healing to um, overcome that trouble. Really years, seven full years. But I'm telling you this because faith is not just believing, it's acting faithful to the Lord who we trust. Believing isn't just a theoretical idea, it's, a, it's an idea that, that affects how we live. It's a life of faith. And our actions and our words need to combine together to be a clear yes to the Lord because the Lord is the Redeemer. We cannot redeem ourselves. And yet, in a very real sense, we have to say yes to Him. The Haftorah portion for Shabbat Haggadol elaborates on how to make our yes to the Lord clear and consistent. And the Haftorah portion from Malachi is a call to return to the Lord. And the return is all-encompassing. It, it it is clear. It includes turning away from a variety of serious sins that are described in this passage that include sorcery, witchcraft, adultery, lying, cheating laborers, abandoning the tithe, which supported the Levites, treating widows and orphans and strangers unjustly. So the return that the prophet speaks about that God is looking for is both a change of heart and a change of direction. The prophet also pinpoint something that the, the people who had trusted the Lord were no longer trusting the Lord. They lost confidence that God was just. And they saw the wicked achieving wealth and prosperity, and it made them think, people can get away with anything. It doesn't matter. And as a result, they turned. Their backs on God. And that's why the scripture in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 says, return to me and I will return to you. But the picture needs to be clear what, the, what that means. God is saying it like this. If, if he's over there, we, his people, have turned our backs on him and we've gone this way. And he says, I'll turn my back on you if you turn your back on me. But if you will turn around, I'll turn around because I want you. And if you turn around and you look to me, 
I'll turn around and I'll come to you. And this turning is really what repentance is about. It's a change of position. Instead of saying, God, you're back there. I turn my back on you. We say, Lord, I, I want you. I'm far away, but I'm going to move towards you. But you know what? You're not moving on your own. He's moving towards you. It's not that you're redeeming yourself. It's not that you're earning something. It's simply that you've changed your heart, your mind, your actions, and, and you've said, Lord, I want you. And it needs to be clear enough that it does touch your heart and it does touch your mind and it does touch the way that you think. The heart needs to be revived. Malachi 3.8 asks this question, will a man rob God? That's a provocative question. And the answer is, yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And this is what's being read and declared throughout the Jewish world on Shabbat Hagadol. In what ways have we robbed you? The Lord says, in tithes and offerings. You've stopped bringing your tithes and your offerings, the Lord said. And you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then the Lord says, try me, test me, prove me. Verify for yourselves now in this matter. And the Lord says, see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Who's in favor of provision? Okay. The Lord says, I'm going to provide so much that you won't have room to keep it all. And he's not talking to hoarders. And then 11, verse 11, and I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So he will provide, but he will also protect. Who wants protection? The Lord says, I'll protect you. Verse 12, and all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Who wants that kind of prosperity? Not just material, but in your body, in your heart, in your mind, in your family. And then verse 13, we'll change the direction. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we said against you? Verse 14, you've said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Maybe you've gotten cynical and you've looked at the world and you said, it's like evil just is running wild. Why shouldn't I run wild? That's what the Lord is saying. And the Lord says, you're speaking against me. Then verse 16, this is so powerful. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened attentively and heard it. Do you remember what the scripture says? They overcame the adversary by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, 
and they didn't love their lives so much that they shrank back from death. The word of their testimony, strip away the religious ideas you may have about that. They overcame the adversary by the blood of the lamb and the things that they remembered that God had done for them. Verse 16 in Malachi is saying the same thing. Those who feared the Lord spoke to each other, and the Lord listened attentively, and he heard it. When you tell people about what God has done for you or what he's done good for someone else, you know what? The Lord hears it. He takes notice of it. The Lord listened attentively, heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I'll have compassion for them, just as a man has compassion for his own son who serves him. And so you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. One Jewish writer notes that Malachi expresses a sense of urgency and that gives the people a strong incentive to repent and serve God. And writes this, this parallels the redemption that we recall during Passover, just as the people of Israel were redeemed from Egypt. After generations of slavery, so too will the people be redeemed with the coming of the Messiah. I'm quoting not a Messianic Jew, just a Jew just a popular Jewish writer. Because this is Jewish to connect Passover and the coming of Messiah. The revival of the heart was also to touch the thinking and the actions of the people with the tithe, but not just that, with their family relations and expectations. I can tell you this, when I was immersed in water and my family was scandalized and alienated from me, I had to wonder, God, what do you want to do? And I can tell you that what I'm about to read to you helped me. Because it speaks about what is the heart of God. Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with utter destruction. And when it says fathers, a vote, understand it's saying mothers and fathers together. So God's desire is to restore hearts, to return fathers' and mothers' hearts to their children and children's hearts to their mothers and fathers. He wants those who are alienated or fractured. He wants those whose, whose families are stressed out relationally now. He wants to heal. And when does he say he wants to do it? He tells us all on Shabbat Hagadol. This is what I want to do. Anybody need some extra healing and some extra grace and favor in your family to work so that things that are keeping people apart wouldn't keep them apart? 
We all do. And this is not limited to little kids. It's not age only for little kids. Older people are still younger than their parents. So God's desire is to heal the relationships, to bring reconciliation that heals families. And so what are we supposed to do? We're to set our hearts in this direction and say yes to what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to say yes to that. And one of the ways we say yes to the Lord is is simply to bring all of our unmet needs, all of our disappointments, and all of our hopes and expectations to him and say, Lord, I know you want to heal my family. I know you want to comfort us and restore us. I know that this is your heart, that we would not be broken apart, but we would be brought together because you're a God of mercy who has declared to us what you want to do. I'm looking at my notes, which you're not going to hear. A little Side comment, one of the reasons Shabbat Haggadol is called Haggadol is because it's customary in the Jewish world for the sermon on Shabbat Haggadol to be especially long. And I don't mean 30 or 40 minutes. I mean several hours And rather than do that, because we have gone a little bit long anyway, I'm going to tell you that you can listen to last night's message, which is on Facebook, YouTube, and will be on podcasts too. And the last part of it will talk about how to remember and recall, recount and recite the victories of God and some things that you can do to celebrate the victories of God and the ways that God has delivered you and the ways that uh, you've experienced his salvation and the way his good news has worked in your life. And I encourage you to listen to all that because there are some good things that will strengthen you and other people. Let me close by saying victories will come to us. Victories will continue to come to us. It is good to trust the Lord. He is faithful. Amen? So I'm going to read to you a prayer that you've already participated in. Ha'el ha'gadol ha'gibor v'hanora el elyon gomel chasadim tovim v'kone ha'kol v'zocher chasdei avot u'mevi goel lifnei v'neihem l'man shemo b'ahava melech ozer u'mashiach u'magen baruch atah adonai magen avraham Blessed are you, Lord our God and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac and God of Jacob, the great, mighty, an awesome God, the Most High God, who bestows grace and creates and purchases all and remembers the kindnesses of the fathers 
and brings a redeemer to their children's children for his name's sake with love. O King, helper, savior, and shield, blessed are you, O Lord, shield of Abraham. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. By the way, if you, if you want a card that has the uh, sign-up information for Pesach, feel free to come up and I'll give you one. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his own shalom through Messiah Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone.